really hard to be like, okay, actually, wait a minute. I need to take a moment and figure out how to do this right. And it's hard. It's hard when that might be your time that's like 100 to 110%. It's that 10% of time that you spend on metrics, but it's necessary because that makes everything work so much easier. Hey, everyone. It's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Nicole Rodriguez. She's the Senior Manager of Marketing and Member Outreach at the American Epilepsy Society. And I'm thankful to have you here. Hey, Nicole. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So it's helpful to hear more about your background and kind of the, the random marketing class that is gets you into this work. How did you end up at the American Epilepsy Society or what drew you into working specifically with this organization? So I graduated from college in 2008 where everything was falling apart and marketing seemed disposable to a lot of companies. So um, I, I had a couple of jobs that I got laid off from where they just cut the entire marketing department. So I had a rough start in this world um, of adulting and marketing. And I, I did a little bit of everything from like a large publicly traded company to a small team, to the agency setting, to a startup. And I saw this job and I was, I was getting out of a job where I was just exhausted and burnt out. And I saw this job and I was feeling kind of lost. And this job excited me because my oldest child, she's nine, has epilepsy. And um, I think I was at a point in my life where I needed a feel-good thing and also needed a job. So uh, it worked out really well. And it was on LinkedIn. And back then, at least, the job application process on LinkedIn was super clunky. But I remember emailing my then boss or my soon-to-be boss, I guess, and just saying, look, nobody's going to do this job as well as I am because I have the experience you want. And then some. But also, like, I live this life and I know all of these things. <laughs> so it was the best career switch ever to go from the outside world to the nonprofit world. And I very, very quickly learned that, like, mission-based work is 100% my jam. And I'm just so happy here. It's so lovely when you can mesh your profession with your passions or your purpose. And I think that's a unique thing we get to do in this work, even the work I feel like we do here at mm -hmm. Feather of being able to work alongside organizations like yours and helping marketers like you connect more of the community to the cause that you're working on. So thank you for sharing your story. I think a lot of our listeners can resonate maybe in, in some way of why they're in their cause and why are they in the work they're doing. It's something I think is really important for us to take a step back on and say, and almost remember, not not decide, but remember, like, why am I in this job at this time? And what is my uniqueness that I can provide to that? Because then when Zoom meetings go bad, or this person's upset, or this, that, and the other, you can go back to that common space and say, like, this is why I'm here. And I'm going to anchor exactly. to that as we push forward. So thank you for sharing your story exactly. and giving some light and reminder to us about why we are in the work we are. Of course. American Epilepsy Society, I think people might assume what it's about, but give some details about like, what do you all do? And then specifically, how does marketing and member outreach fit into that? Or how are you in your role supporting the mission of the work? So we actually are a professional organization for people who work in epilepsy. We don't have a direct to patient anything. Uh, so we provide a lot of education, clinical guidelines and resources, a community for scientists, doctors, technicians working in epilepsy to communicate, that kind of thing. 
Uh, we're kind of the home base. Um, and the great thing is that there really isn't anybody else like us that is completely focused on epilepsy for the people working in epilepsy. So that's pretty unique in that I already have a captive audience, which makes my job a little bit easier. But what's unique, and, and it was a challenge for me at first, is that I'm communicating with people who really truly speak a different language. I am not a doctor. I am not a scientist. Uh, I am very right brain. Like, give me words and pictures and I'm happy. So it's it's been really interesting learning to communicate with these folks and and, you know, figuring out what works. But yeah, it's an audience that I had never directly targeted before with anything. So it's been it's been a learning curve, but it's been great. Many of our listeners will have some connection to either managing like a member-based program or even those that are working on more of the direct fundraising side, some sort of like loyal donor engagement. I'm curious for you all right now in 2023, are you all focused kind of more intently on member cultivation or is there a focus on member acquisition? And how do you balance those two objectives in your own work? Uh, mostly cultivation and kind of engagement with the people that we already have. We do, um, you know, do a couple of new member campaigns here and there, but really our bread and butter is the folks we have. That's where we give most of our focus. And like you mentioned earlier, I'm a solo one woman band here when it comes to marketing. So I really need to uh, sink my time into something that pays off. Um, like I mentioned, we're really the organization. If you work in epilepsy, like you belong here. So a lot of the new member acquisition part of things is done for me because it is the place to go if you work in epilepsy. But most of our efforts are spent on getting members to renew, keeping them happy, getting them to engage with our educational content, purchase, uh, you know, self-assessments, webinars, that kind of thing. And then also a huge, huge piece of our puzzle is our annual meeting where they can come and they have five days of education. So getting people to register for that. Given you've been there for seven years, and so, you know, you have a, a, an array of years pre-pandemic, then you have an array of years, you know, we're a year and a half, two years out from like the main impacts or the main kind of like lockdown, but then you have the pandemic. So there's like these three phases of your time there that you've went through. How has member engagement evolved or how have you thought differently about member engagement through those phases and what stayed consistent? So that's a loaded question. Pre-pandemic feels like it was 100 years ago. So that feels a little foggy. But I will tell you that pre-pandemic, I really feel like I candidly kind of took for granted how, not easy, but how natural my job was and how natural engaging with our members was. Everybody, we had a very captive audience. You know, our, our people were really interested in everything we had to say. And that didn't really change, but our audience is doctors and scientists. And so working in some sort of like medical healthcare communications during a global pandemic uh, was a trip that I would love to never take again. And, you know, marketers, we already face the challenge of competing with other noise in inboxes, in mailboxes, on websites for ad space, on social media, literally everywhere we are competing to be the thing that gets somebody's attention. And through, I would say like 2020, through like the beginning of 2022, maybe middle of 2022, it was a little harder to be that thing that got their attention. You know, we were taking calls with some of our volunteers and they were joining calls in like full PPE because they had just left a patient room and come in and didn't have time to take all of their stuff off. And it was just this really dystopian, weird 
time. And then as far as communications and engaging with our members went, their attention was spread a lot thinner. Yeah. That said, we did fill a need at that time, which, you know, it was continuity of education. Events stopped. So our team scrambled to do as much as we could virtually. Um, and then as far as post, post-ish pandemic, we're doing a lot of hybrid stuff. You know, like our meeting is still, we're still recording a ton of it so that it is available on demand and as a completely separate registration type for people who can't come in person or don't feel comfortable coming in person. And I think our audience has kind of gotten a taste of how convenient it is to not have to get on an airplane and fly somewhere for five days. The other side of that coin, however, is our in-person meeting is just so full of opportunities to meet people and network and do all of the social things. So there's a demand for that. And it's just, it's really hard to meet all the demands because <laughs> we can't yeah. possibly put on this fantastic experience in person and duplicate it virtually. And we tried our damnedest in 2020. We really did. We had, you know, a, a networking platform that we held events in and things like that, but it's just not the same. So we're just constantly trying to meet everybody's needs. And as we all know, it's impossible to make everybody happy, but we sure are doing our best. I will say that people now are more engaged than ever. And we have so much interest and our email open rates and click-through rates and all that engagement is so good. Our website traffic is so good. And it just really feels like people are kind of bouncing back and, and feeling kind of normal again, whatever normal is. You said two things there I want to highlight. One was you referred to this like competition for attention. And I often say like attention is actually the most valuable currency. And I do think the pandemic time almost reminded us of that. And so how do we steward our attention? How do we protect our attention? And we kind of moved into this space where, as you mentioned, like, we don't need to get on an airplane. Do I really want to go to that event? Do I really need five sources of information? Or can I just lean on two or three? Um, I, we've also seen this migration from like personalized uh, feeds to private squares where it's like, hey, I'm going to move away from like being on social and doing this and I'm going to be a part of a private community or I'm going to be a part of a organization like you. And, and I think there's a great opportunity if you are the de facto guide or gathering place for your audience or for your community, I think there's only upside to leaning further and further into that as people move away from these personalized feeds into these private spaces. And so it's interesting then that you referred to it as we have more engagement, we have more excitement. You know, people are coming to our mm -hmm. events, yes, for the content, but they want to like take a break and meet other people and like take a step back. Like they're professionals that work in high intensity, stressful fields, being able to step away and connect with others, like-minded people, being that gathering place is, I think, something all nonprofits and listeners or, or associations can think through of, are we creating that gathering place for our community? Or are we just trying to rent attention on these other places and trying to convince people to be involved when really we just want to create something that pulls people in and when they come in, they want to stay engaged. And so... I would love to hear how you all do that at the American Epilepsy Society. Obviously, you have an engaged population, uh, your engaged member base. But what are the things that you're doubling down on and investing more in as you look ahead into maintaining that member connectivity and connection with the organization? So the biggest piece of that is our meeting. And it's not entirely year-round, but it's pretty. we're pretty heavy into the meeting. We'll say March to December. It's in December every year. So physically speaking... 
so much of our time as staff and energy goes into ensuring that when they arrive on site, that is what they are expecting, both in terms of the education being offered, in terms of the full experience from like, was check-in easy? And, you know, did they find everything they needed? Are the maps clear? Are the, is the signage in the right place? Did I communicate those things to people? And, you know, also like, do they have the opportunities to network and socialize and get in touch with everybody? Because that's one of the biggest things we sell about our meeting is that anybody who's anybody in epilepsy is going to be there. And like I said, captive audience, we're very lucky that we have that. So, you know, a ton of that goes into communications, especially when it comes to our younger audiences. For us, a big part of what we do is we try to get people, young people working in epilepsy and we try to keep them in epilepsy. So not only is it, okay, well, our organization is a membership organization and we need to have people renewing. We also take very seriously the fact that this is mission-based work and our mission is to keep the smartest people in epilepsy. So from a communications perspective, throughout the year, it is ensuring that I call myself a list Lorax. I speak for our list and I am constantly trying to make sure that we are not overwhelming our people and that what we are communicating to them is, is a value. It's what they need. It's what they expect. It's what we need them to know without overdoing it. You know, email is our bread and butter. It just performs so, so well for us. And I know that there are some people out there that think email is dead and I will fight that to the end because it is not. Um, I think email has proven that it's around for good. Yeah, I think because I think like two two data points for our listeners is in the state of nonprofit marketing report that we did, email shown as the number one most important channel for nonprofit marketers or marketers in nonprofits still, and that held true. However, if you look at the latest M and R benchmarks, the value or the impact of email for organizations has actually started declining for the first time in a few years of the benchmarks being out. So I think last year, revenue went down, engagement rates went down in email. And just even if you look at 22 or 21 to 22, like there was a huge shift in the email metrics. Now, there's still some light at the end of the tunnel. But before I talk about that, I'd love to hear you. Like, why? what are you doing in email that's working? What would you advise others to focus in on as they're evaluating their email marketing strategy? So I think for a long time, email marketing was a megaphone. And... I am of the school of thought that that does not work. This is not a broadcast platform. I think part of the challenge of email marketing is knowing your audience, knowing what they can tolerate, knowing what they don't tolerate. And you need to be knee deep in your metrics. You need to understand who's opening what and why. And that was a big challenge when I started here because we inherited a data mess because when I started, our staff was taking over from an association management company and they did not take good care of our data. They did. We, I, we had no idea who our people were. So getting to know your people is huge. And part of the challenge of email marketing is not just that you're one of 50 emails landing in somebody's inbox that day. It is, is the email that I sent the one they needed today? You know, it's, it's breaking through their attention. But also for us, you need to balance how much you're mailing them, what it is that they're getting, are the right people getting the right things? Because email is finicky. And people now more than ever, are so quick to hit that unsubscribe button if you make them mad or if you annoy them or if you send them the wrong thing. So I'm not the email is king, jump into it and start doing it right away because there is a science to it. You need to get to know your people and communicate with them the way they expect to or candidly, you're just kind of screwed. 
<laughs> Our email metrics were good when I started because again, captive audience, but typically, I mean, we are, our click-through rates are like through the roof, like 30, 40, 50, 60% sometimes, um, especially if we're emailing just our members. It's, it's amazing. Hey friends, Emily here from Feather. Feather's nonprofit marketing platform turns your if-only wish list into reality. Feather Flights, our marketing automation tool, helps you design multi-channel campaigns and automated engagement journeys. Feather is trusted by over 1,300 nonprofits, and we help you unlock more time, more results, and ultimately, more confidence with real-time ROI reporting at the campaign level so you know what works, removing the guesswork from your 2023 plan. Book time with one of our digital strategists today and learn how you can unlock more in 2023 with Feather by visiting feather.co. That's feather without the last E dot C-O. Are you doing like hyper segmentation? Are you doing like, are, do you break it down into small groups and then decide, okay, I'm going to personalize the message for this group today? Or are you still doing broader, but doing personalization at scale? Get in the, a little bit of the mechanics. Like, cause I think that's where people want to hear about. And that's what we try to do on Unplugged is like, tactically, what could I change next week about how I do email marketing based on what you've seen works for you all? So we're doing a little bit of everything you mentioned. For a long time, it was strictly member, non-member, because we didn't really have the ability to further segment. We transitioned to a new AMS slash CRM system a couple of years ago that has given us the opportunity to just segment so much better. It came with a huge campaign push to get people to fill out their profiles in that CRM. But, you know, what we are moving into more is segmenting by topic of interest. So using website analytics and also email metrics, like who opened what message to create lists based on the topic that we're communicating. So in the past, because we didn't have any other way, I would have promoted a webinar to our members and said, hey, here's this new webinar. It's on this niche topic that you may or may not be interested in. Sorry if you're not. To now, I know that if it's on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I have a list of people who have previously engaged with peanut butter and jelly content or peanut butter and or jelly content that I can send that to and do a super targeted personalized note to them. And that works. You know, they're hand raisers. Like we have this low hanging fruit. You have tools like GA that are free and we, we can figure these things out. You know, if you have a good email platform, it'll work beautifully with your website. So we're getting into that topic, topic based segmentation, which I love. Um, that has been a goal of mine since I very first started. Since I started, there has been a list of topics of interest in people's profiles, and none of them were filled out. And we couldn't segment by them anyway, so what was the point? But now we can, and it's wonderful. So little by little, we're, we're going more towards that. I think what you just said, though, just to, I want to highlight this so people don't, because this is super practical. Like, you've sent emails to these people before, or these people have visited your website, and you should be able to track that you're using a platform like Feather that allows you to see all of that engagement, then you should be able to segment on it. But there are other platforms that you could use to do that. But having the technology first is important. The second thing you said was actually looking at the data to then inform how you go forward, which is a big part of hard. the good marketing framework that we did is that it's a learning framework. So you're like, I understand the audience, mm -hmm. then I want to cultivate them through content and channels. So email channel, here's the content we're going to do. And we're trying to activate them to take some sort of action. 
Maybe it's signing up, maybe it's reading something, watching a video, signing up for a demand, et cetera. But the outcome of that isn't just the conversions. The outcome of that is that you just learned more about your audience. And now we need to take that into consideration as we think about cultivating them further. And so just that alone, where it's like the peanut butter and jelly thing, I hope that resonates with the listeners because I, it resonated with me, is like, you know who's interested in peanut butter and jelly. You know who's interested in peanut, peanut butter and you know who's interested in jelly. And you know who's interested in Nutella or like they're actually allergic to nuts or something. I don't know. You know, you have this information if you dig in, but it's slowing down enough to look at that first. Yes. Versus where we often start, which is like, I need people to do X. <laughs> I'm going to send X like thing to Y set of people. And I'm going to try to convince them to take X action instead of like, who is Y? What do they care <laughs> yep, about? Exactly. And how do I cultivate a connection with them? Because if I don't connect with people, I sure as heck can't activate them. But connecting with people is all about them, not what you want them to do. Once you've connected with them, you can now activate them to take some sort of action. And that's key of what you said. Exactly. And I, I think this is applicable for everyone listening, that you should do this today. Go back and look at what happened last week to inform what's going to happen, what you should do next week. And we don't slow down enough. And I think that's so tough. I will say that is something that I personally learned through the pandemic, being in the line of work I was during that time and trying to meet the training needs of people working in medicine and science that didn't have that bedside opportunity to do it. Like it was frantic. It was crazy. We were coming up with educational products and, and things that I had to promote all the time. And I was so exhausted. And after that, I kind of had to like really look at my job and, and life in general, but like really prioritize, like what is the best way to do this right? And what is the most efficient way to do this right? And as a one person marketing team, it's really hard to set aside time to just dig through metrics. And I think it's so hard when you have things flying at you from every angle that you have to promote and you have to get out there and your colleagues, or if you're in an agency setting, your clients, like they just want you to get it out there and they want you to get it done. It's really hard to be like, okay, actually, wait a minute. <laughs> I need to take a moment and figure out how to do this right. And it's hard. It's hard when that might be your time that's like 100 to 110%. It's that 10% of time that you spend on metrics. But it's necessary because then it makes everything work so much easier. Yeah, it might win back 20% of your time in the future. Yeah, so like exactly, it might take exactly. the extra 10 now, but it's going to save you 20, 30, 40 in the future. And that's something that our guests here in the studio talk about, our clients at Feather talk about. It's like, once we can sit back and actually be like, okay, what's actually working? How do we double down on what's working? For one, you have to have the technology in place. And I think that's also another yes. vibe to say, hey, you have to invest in the right tech. You mentioned kind of the da data chaos. Uh, we're all operating mm -hmm. in some form of chaos. And our job isn't to try to control the chaos. <laughs> it's trying to control things we can control within the chaos. And one is actually knowing what's going on and having that clarity into like your data and what's going on on your website, what's going on in your marketing campaigns. But then being disciplined enough to say, okay, I'm going to take that into consideration when I try to run my next campaign. Because often we're like, we understand and can see all the data and we report on that every quarter, month, week, etc. But we don't actually use that information to inform how we run our next campaigns. We just go back to running our campaigns. We go back to the divots we've carved instead of like 
being adaptive Mm -hmm. because it's so hard. It's so difficult. It does take that extra time. When you have a task at hand and you just have to get it done, oftentimes it's just, you just get it done. You do what you have to take to get it done because other things are out of sight, out of mind. I actually keep a tab open in my browser at all times, which drives some people crazy, but I keep a tab open at all times and it has my marketing plan in it. And I look back at it a million times a week just to make sure that it is not out of sight, out of mind, and it is right there and, you know, totally accessible to me. The other thing you asked was like, where are we investing? And something that my team has done a lot of in 2023 is spending time and money on tech and on reporting and on those metrics. So, you know, we're spending a ton of staff time getting the dashboards and reports and everything that we need to make our jobs easier. So what you said about, you know, you might spend a little extra time in it now, but it's going to save us time down the road. And we're already seeing that. And we're what, five months in, five and a half months into 2023. So I I can't recommend that enough. Just having the, the, I guess, uh, confidence and bravery to be like, okay, I might overextend for a second here, but let me pause, take a moment, figure this stuff out and lay a good foundation for the rest of the work I do. Because I think that we're entering into this world, or I guess we're already in it, where, especially after the pandemic, people who work in corporate America, nonprofits included, are tired. And we need to find ways to work smarter. Mm. And tech and metrics is part of that. So for us, the suite of trusty resties that I have, that I, I go to to make sure I know who our people are, what they're doing, you know, what I should do next, Feather, obsessed with Feather, that came from a cold call. I think about that all the time, like six, seven years ago. Somebody just randomly called and was like, hey, would you be interested in this? And my boss was like, hey, talk to these people. And it's been one of the most like transformational professional relationships and tools I've used. So Feather, Google Analytics, we use Real Magnet for email. And that has been a game changer. When I first started, we were using MailChimp, which is fine. But having something that integrates with our CRM and having something that integrates beautifully with Google Analytics. It has just been such a help, such a help. We've talked a lot about reporting and analytics and learning. I'm curious because experimentation and learning are a huge part of doing marketing or doing good marketing. When did something not meet expectations or was something that you like, hey, we thought this was going to crush and it (laughs) fell flat? And more importantly, what did you learn from that or what did you take away from that experiment? So that's a perfect question. And it's kind of in the tech vein of things. We use Feather and display advertising a lot for our meeting. And it is gangbusters, like has done amazing things for us. I thought a couple years ago, it was the first year that we had transitioned into this um, CRM. And I thought, okay, they promised me in these sales demos that they had the functionality to allow us to use display advertising specifically cart abandonment campaigns with Feather for member renewals. And I was so hell-bent on doing it. Like, that was one of the things I wanted when we were investigating new systems to switch to. They promised me it would work and kind of hurried to set it up. And it was fine. The campaign was fine. It didn't really do a whole lot. Part of it was that I think my creative was a little lackluster because I was so focused on getting the thing done that I didn't think about the message and how it was being received. So again, so focused on the task at hand that I didn't stop to think, okay, why are these people renewing and what are they doing? So 
my creative, my graphics were really simply like, it's time to renew, renew your membership, which it's not to say that I don't think there's a place for that. I think that kind of messaging is important, but I did absolutely nothing in that suite of creative to remind them about the benefits and the value of being a member. So that's one thing, you know, that was both because I was excited to get up and running and because I was short on time and because it was new, we were figuring it out. The other thing was that I think I put all my eggs in that I can trust my CRM basket and that was wrong. <laughs> so things didn't really track the way I wanted them to. And, you know, I, I just, again, I kind of learned that you've got to take a pause for a second and make sure that your foundation is solid before you start stacking things on top of it. It's just not going to work well. So yeah, we're going to try it again this year. And I'm going to be a little more intentional about it because yeah. I, I I don't think that one failure merits abandoning it completely. Uh, if it doesn't work this time, then that's fine. We will just continue relying on email for renewals because we know it works very well, but we are going to give it another go. Yeah. You said something really important that I want to spotlight as well is that when you are building campaigns or designing how you're going to connect or cultivate a connection with an audience, in this case, people that we need to help renew memberships to an action, which is renew membership. In that, we you chose the channel, which was, hey, we we're going to use display advertising, specifically retargeting ads, and we're going to go. But as you referred, the learning was is that like to run a campaign, you have to think about the content and the channel. And then how do you communicate the content through the channel, not what is the channel and what content we should we use? Yep. And oftentimes, like <laughs> it gets... In like the content is in service of the channel versus looking at it as like, what messaging content are we trying to communicate to this audience? Yes, we are choosing this channel and maybe a multi-channel or omni-channel approach, which increases results. But then we are going to mold the content into the channel, but we're not going to let the channel dictate the content. And I think that's a huge lesson to be learned is that you need to have content and channels almost on equal playing field. If you saw the video right now, you'd see my hands holding them equally instead of on top of each other. But I think it's so important. And I we forget about this all the time. We're like, hey, we're going to run this ad or we're going to send this email. What's the content? It's like, if we've, if we've gotten that far and we're asking that question, we've already failed. <laughs> and we need to take a step back and say, like, who's the audience? Who's the piece of the community yeah. we're trying to connect with? What is the content we are trying to communicate to them? What channels should we consider to connect with them? Okay, now let's figure out how we mold the content and channels together to have a single message through an omni-channel experience to build that connection. It's very simple, but it's very easy to get that out of order. So I appreciate you sharing your learnings and that you're going to go back to it. Like just because the channel didn't work the first time doesn't mean the channel doesn't work. It's that maybe the right. content wasn't right, exactly. or the audience targeting wasn't right, or that channel is not a great fit for the intention that you had. There's a lot of different exactly. things you can ask. Uh, and that's the power of learning. Well, Nicole, we've shared a lot with our audience already, but I want to give you kind of the the final task with one additional question before we get into a lightning round, which is what excites you about marketing right now? Like, what are you exploring? What do you, you know, we talked about email, you know, tried and true, talked about website and ads and other things, but like, is there anything about marketing right now that excites you? Personally, in my role, I am most excited about the work we're doing to better get to know our people and to make sure that our metrics and everything are are up to snuff. We're we're in the budgeting phase right now. But I I put in for Delighted. I don't know if I can mention other tools, but Delighted so that I can actually start emailing people frequently to get an NPS score of of their satisfaction with us. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think I've been here long enough and I've been harping on the same 
you know, points for long enough that people are really listening and understanding and valuing that, hey, we need to know about our people. We need to make sure they're happy. And like, we need to know what makes them tick. So again, like I said, like we really are starting to invest time and money in getting to better understand our people beyond what is just in their profile on our website. And just just for listeners that don't know that tool, Delighted is a way for you to continually collect ongoing feedback from your audience. Like it's like a surveying tool to get a pulse check and kind of that ongoing circular feedback, which I think is super important. I saw that when I was running marketing for a nonprofit. Like we often just like, oh, we know them and now we're going to work from it. But we didn't go back to get to know them again and again and again. And I think a tool like Delighted and so many others can help you continually learn versus getting like a state and time learning and then just assuming that that's Mm -hmm. all, that it's stagnant and humans are not stagnant, so. Right, things change all the time. So we're gonna use that to pull the audience for, you know, how, you know, one to 10, how would you recommend or would you recommend this, these educational products to your colleagues? Same thing goes for membership, same thing goes for our meeting. There's just so many things that we need to check in on and, and we've also fallen into the rut of, doing some sort of member research or outreach every couple of years and then working from that for like two or three years, which again, I mean, two, three years later, I'm into jelly and not peanut butter. So you just never know what's happening. So I'm, I'm excited about the kind of groundswell of interest in doing what I've wanted to do for a long time. No, that's super helpful. Um, and great reminders for, for listeners. Uh, Are you ready for some lightning round questions? We have three questions we like to ask our audience. I am ready. So number one is what book on or related to marketing do you wish you read earlier in your career? Everybody Writes by Anne Hanley. It didn't exist early on in my career. It's only been around, I think, like 10 years. But 10 out of 10, read it. I I have it somewhere. I don't know if it's behind my head or not, (laughs) but I do have it. Anne Anne Hanley is great and uh, an awesome guide, reminding us that we are all writers and content's really important. So great book recommendation. I, I had the pleasure of working with her. And if you can't work with her, the book is a close second. <laughs> Question number two is, what's your go-to marketing axiom? And like something that you always go back to, remind yourself of when you get stuck, tell others as you're talking about marketing. I don't have anything pithy for that, but really it's just that you have to know your people. You have to know your people if you want to be successful in any channel, any platform, any marketing endeavor or campaign, it doesn't matter. You have to know your people first. And so again, you know, if I get caught up in that, just do the thing mentality, it's the reminder to like, chill for a second. <laughs> Think about what we're doing and who it serves and why. And, you know, that that always helps. And the last question is, who are you following in marketing? Like, is there organizations you look towards? Are there maybe other individuals? You already mentioned Anne Handley. Who are you learning from that's also doing mission nonprofit marketing? I don't really have any go-tos that are specific to that. Anne is a terrific voice for content marketing. Fantastic. I am a member of the American Marketing Association. I love their webinars and things like that. That kind of helps me kind of keep up. But really, it's like the other marketing greats, like people like Seth Godin. I don't know. If you want to laugh in the marketing world, follow Marketing Millennials on LinkedIn. So many things you can resonate with. (laughs) Really good memes. But um, yeah, I mean, as far as marketing, it's a lot through the AMA. 
in yeah. the nonprofit space is kind of what I'm into these days. That's great. And AMA and then marketing millennials. And that's not just a general <laughs> term like, oh, go follow millennial marketers on LinkedIn. But there's actually <laughs> no. a, a it's an account, yeah. an account <laughs> called millennial marketing or is marketing millennial? I think it's marketing millennials. And marketing it's millennials. just every time they post a meme, it like speaks to the inner depths of my soul. So that's great. Well, everyone go check out Marketing Millennials. I also think they have a great podcast <laughs> or a version of a podcast if you Google it. And they have a great newsletter that was one of the sparks of inspiration between, behind Feather's in-flight briefing we send every week, which was like, how what is a like quality newsletter? Not like old school, like here's just all these stuff, but like what is something that really resonates and that can be audience first and all of that. And so we definitely looked at the Marketing Millennial newsletter as inspiration for ours. So check those resources out. Nicole, okay. thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do with the American Epilepsy Society. And thank you for sharing your story and your time with us. Of course. Thank you. You guys are my favorite. Appreciate your time. Good Marketing Unplugged would like to give a special thanks to our producer, The Good Podcast Company and to Feather's very own Max Anderson, who wrote and performed our theme song.